Well, I thought we might do a little work this morning on the idea of Lent. And to just stop and think for a moment, why would the church every year put a, a time, a, you know, a period of weeks like this into their calendar for self-reflection and for thinking about life and where it's going and how it's heading and all that. You think just of our first reading today, I think you get a good idea for how uh, the church came to the conclusion that we may want to do this. I mean, can you hear Abraham saying something like, Lord, this story's not going very well. Uh, You said I was going to have descendants that are as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, and I can't even have a baby. This isn't going right. And he had a need to sort of reconsider life and to think about things. And I, I, so I'm, for me, I'm thinking of Lent as kind of a, a rookie here, as a time of, of me being able to have many excuses to pause during my day to re-engage with God through Lent. Because the truth of it is, just humanly speaking, even when we're trying really hard to get things right, uh, things go wrong. And uh, I I have a couple of examples for you this morning. Uh, This is what I'm going to call this morning the Chevy Nova Awards. You know that old car, the Chevy Nova? Some of us are old enough to remember a Nova, yeah? Well, uh, when the car was selling well here in America, they decided to do some marketing in Mexico. The only problem is that in Spanish, Nova means no go. (laughs) So they're trying to sell a car in Mexico called the no go. Now, you know, some sophisticated marketing department came up with that word. I mean, even when you're trying really hard, things can go wrong. For instance, remember the Dairy Association? They had that really, uh, that campaign that was everywhere called Got Milk? Well, again, it was going so well that they decided to do it in Mexico. The only problem is the Spanish translation read, are you lactating? Probably (laughs) not what they had in mind. So, I mean, seriously, you can be trying really hard. Again, I don't know why this happens so much in Spanish, but uh, the Pope was visiting Mexico, and a T-shirt company made a T-shirt that was supposed to say, I saw the Pope, El Papa. But the shirts read instead, I saw the potato, La Papa. (laughs) Last one, remember Pepsi? Uh, I don't remember what decade this was. It might have been the 70s, so some of you weren't even born. But anyway, remember Pepsi had this, uh, this tagline called Come Alive with the Pepsi Generation? Well, they started marketing it in Chinese, only in Chinese it said, Pepsi brings back your ancestors from the grave. <laughs> so even when you're trying hard, things can go amiss. You might remember the last time we were together, I, where's my iPhone? Here it is. Oh, I never shut it off. You might remember the last time we were together, I told you that I was getting so frustrated with this thing between this and AT&T, I was ready to throw this in the ocean. But my, my partner and friend, Paul Martin, uh, came. He, I desperately uh, texted him and said, Paul, can you meet me at Starbucks at like, I don't know, 8.30? It was Thursday or Friday night or something. I said, I'm going to throw this thing in the ocean. Now, some of you had said to me, well, Todd, I think you need to reboot it because when you like come down from Boise, maybe it's not connecting to the towers or something. Paul said to me, have you ever updated it? And I said, I mean, I am really low tech. I've had this phone 13 months. I didn't know you were supposed to update it. I had never even plugged it into my computer. 
So Paul says to me, well, I think maybe this is what's wrong. And so he sits there and it took like, what, 40 minutes to download all the downloads because it's like a year and a half worth. I thought it was going to start flashing from, from, you know, Max saying, what an idiot, what an idiot, you know. Uh, you, you might want to have updated this. And I, honest to God, as I was driving home from meeting with Paul, I thought, I just got the most deeply profound lesson in Lent. That oh, where'd we go? Um, <laughs> Because really, that's what Lent is all about. It's, it's, it's not about giving up sugar, or it's not about, you know, I'm going to start journaling this Lent. I mean, those things are all great, and we ought to do them. But what those are, are all little opportunities for us to sort of get synced. That's the last thing that happened. All the downloads came, and then I don't remember if it was on my phone or on my computer screen. It said syncing now. And that's really what Lent's all about. It's a time for us to just stop. You create little moments in your day or in your week where it's a time for you to get this little download from God or you do your bit of journaling or whatever it is that you've decided to do to take away or add something at Lent. Those are just really times to sort of recalibrate. And that's what's happening in every one of these stories and I think I'm just going to stay here. Um, That's what's happening in every one of these stories. Abraham is being reassured of his call in his future. Paul is saying to the people in Philippi, hey, there's an example or pattern for here for you to follow. Jesus is gathering sheep that have wandered. So again, if you just think first about the story with Abraham, you have to put it in its context of Genesis 12. That's when Abraham is called. And he's called, the father says, in a very special way in which he's going to be completely protected like the songs we sang this morning in our time of worship. That no matter what happens, Abraham, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. So all the provision you need will have in your blessing. If anyone comes against you, God said, I will come against them. Why? Genesis 12, 3. I just pray this is always a mantra in the life of this church in the decades to come. Why was God going to so richly bless Abraham? Why was he going to go so out of his way to protect him and secure him? Genesis 12, 3, that you might bless the rest of the earth. That was Abram's call. And you get to Genesis 15 and it's not happening. It's not working. This this great number of partners that he was supposed to have to help him be sort of God's cosmic fire department, you know, rescue squad, the 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 person who had come, the people who had come to help God fix what's gone wrong in the earth, it's not happening for him. He's losing his confidence. He says, how am I to know that this is actually my call, that I actually heard you three chapters ago or whatever that was in time? Are you with me? He's sincerely doubting. How do I know that I've heard my call? Second of all, I think you probably don't think of Abraham this way often, but Abraham is literally homeless. And maybe homeless in a way that his family's telling him, well, it's your own fault, you know, you little jerk. You're the one that left Ur. You had a good job in the steel mill or whatever, right? You're the one who left. You're the one who said you heard the voice of God. Can't you just hear his relatives saying it's your fault? Of course you're homeless. And so, you know, just think, remember back to junior high, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At his very deepest core, Abraham's shaken, 
and is wondering what, is, what can it mean then to follow God when I'm doubting my call, my security's being challenged, he'd be given all these great promises, they're not coming to pass. As I said, he couldn't even have a son. So when Abraham finally calls out to God, what does he find? And this is crucial for the moment when, you know, you've, let's see, you've decided to give up sugar for Lent. This is crucial when you don't best bust out the Captain Crunch with Crunchberries, right? Tomorrow morning, when you, when you decide not to get them off the shelf, what are you to find in that moment? What is it that's supposed to meet you there? And the answer is grace, goodness, provision, and blessing of God. When you have one of those moments in Lent where you realize, because remember the point isn't the giving up of sugar, the point is why? Maybe you gave up sugar as, as a connection to your own insecurities, or maybe you gave, up connection, you gave up sugar with connection to fear or lust or greed or whatever it is. It's in that moment where you see that gap between the person who you are and the person whom you're trying to become using little disciplines called Lent, it's in that moment when you see that gap, you have to wonder, what am I going to find there? Am I going to find religion? When I see that little gap, am I going to find guilt? Or when I see that little gap between who I am and what I desire to be, what will I find? And the answer is the grace and goodness and provision of God always. We don't just sing those lyrics. We sing them because for 2,000 years, Christians have experienced it to be true, not merely theologically true, though, of course, it is theologically true. I mean, in this chapter, I mean, you don't have time to do it in a 20-minute sermon, but, I mean, there's been more ink spilt over, and it was credited to him as righteousness than perhaps any other phrase in the whole Bible. I mean, we've had a whole thing called the Reformation over this and for now five or six hundred years, there's probably no doctrine of the Christian faith that has been more explored than what it means to connect with God through what we believe and think and act upon in, in a way that God counts it as righteousness. So what are you going to find there? And the answer is that as soon as Abraham could see again, now this wasn't really Lent for him, but he had one of those moments where he could see the gap and he heard God's voice again, and he believed, which, mean, which just simply means he, um, he aligned himself or he thought as if it were true. Uh, to confess means to really agree with. And so he heard the voice of God again, he agreed with it, and God counted that act as righteousness and said, yes, Abraham, that's it. You're back in alignment again, and you are going to have a son, and it's all going to turn out okay. Well, when we think about this, we're not simply plumbing in a brief moment the depths of Christian theology. But what I want you to hear this morning is we're right at the heart of Christian spiritual formation. Because one of the biggest confusions about Christian spiritual formation is are we supposed to do anything? You know, again, I'm not picking on anybody. In fact, I won't use a name. But when I was a young Christian here, here in Orange County, 19 years old, born again in the most hip church in the county at that time, we would have thought that Lent was something that Catholics did who were probably not even believers. Because that had to be works, right? I mean, we just, we're just born again because we believe in Jesus. So this had to be works. That you don't, you don't, you know, Christians don't really do this kind of stuff. 
But I had no understanding at that point of Christian spiritual formation. And that one of the great mysteries of this is that, yes, God is always the initiator. And yes, God is always the difference maker. You got those two things? Let's just think logically for a minute. He's the initiator. He's always the the difference maker. But that doesn't completely set you aside as if you have nothing to do with this. No, Abraham heard the voice of God. He believed it, which is to say he understood it. He aligned his mind and life with it. And God looked at him and said, yes, that is righteousness. You are aligning your life with my call for you. So in these little practices of Lent, think this, that what they do is they give us the readiness, the willingness, and action to receive what God has promised and wants to do. Are you with me here? Abraham didn't wake up one morning and go, I think I'll save the cosmos. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I think I'll become a cosmos saver. No, he was minding his own business, working at a McDonald's in Ur. And God called him. See, God was the initiator. And God's the difference maker. But still, Abraham had this part of him to align himself. And that's what these little practices of Lent do. I hope you come to the place where you thank God every year for spring. Because you can do some spring house cleaning and whatever's gone wrong in your soul. This gives you annually a time to work on your own Christian spiritual formation. Now, not that we only do it in Lent, but it certainly gives you practices for doing that. That put us back on the right track with God, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Because, again, I've said this to you before, I'll probably say it again many times in the decades to come, but... Always keep in the back of your mind when you're trying to visualize what Christianity is all about, Revelation 22.5, which says, in the life to come, they will reign with me forever and ever. Now, you might say, why was it important for Abraham to be in alignment with God and God's plan and his will for him? You might say, well, because he was Abraham. Well, again, this, we don't have time to get into a big discussion of cosmology here. But you know, there are galaxies upon galaxies and galaxies. And what if one day God wants to say to you, would you take this galaxy for me and be my Abraham? That's where this is going. Something like that is where this is going. You're not going to sit on a cloud somewhere playing a harp. I mean, I'd love if I could just sit on Cindy's cloud and listen to her. That'd be beautiful. But it's probably not going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to continue to participate in the ongoing um, creation and recreation of what God's doing in his whole creation. And so it's important that we learn to get this right today. Well, these people in Philippians, kind of like my iPhone, uh, are a bit out of whack. And, and, And Paul says of them that their God is their stomach, which simply means to say that they're ruled by just sort of normal, natural human passions that their mind is on earthly things. When he says their glory is in their shame, uh, picture a bunch of college students. I did this. I'm not picking on anybody. But just picture a bunch of college students who wake up on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning with an incredible hangover. Um, I heard there's a movie out by that name, isn't there? I haven't seen it, but I heard it. It's like, so if you've seen it, classic. Wake up, you know, you don't even remember what happened the next morning, and they glory in it, right? Can you hear a bunch of college kids sitting around 
1.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday at Starbucks going, oh my God, I got such a headache. And they're glorying in whatever had happened the night before and we won't go there because who knows what happened the night before. But you with me? That's what Paul meant. They're completely oriented to humanness. They've lost any sort of sense of being connected to God. And the Lenten remedy for Paul is, follow my example. Live according to the pattern that I have shown you and that we have given you as Christians. He says, and this is crucially important to everybody who fear, every Protestant who fears any kind of works, this is crucially important. Paul doesn't say in this passage, he does in others, and rightfully so, it's important that you believe this or that. But what many of us Protestants done have made this hard, fast, discreet distinction between beliefs and practices. And that is a false dualism. Christian spirituality cannot go there. Christian spirituality sees an organic connection between beliefs and practices. So there are times when Paul will say, it is important that you believe Christ rose from the dead as it was said. Or Paul will say, it is important that you believe that Christ taught this. Those things are important. Meaning, you couldn't go play soccer if you were trying to play it according to beliefs of basketball. Are you with me? Your beliefs have to be oriented enough so that they produce a right kind of living. But you, they can't merely stop with beliefs. So here in this passage, when Paul is dealing with people who have gone astray and need some Lenten practices, he doesn't say, believe what I have believed, as important as that is. Rather, he says, watch what I do and copy me. So that Christianity is not so much a set of beliefs only or a set of rules for sure. It's a life. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. When Jesus comes announcing the, the greatness and the goodness, the all-encompassing power of the gospel of the kingdom of God, he's talking about a life that's now available to you that had not been available to human beings since they were banished from the garden. Think about that. The kind of life that humans were intended to have in God was gone until Christ comes and inaugurates the, the kingdom of God on earth. Now this life is available to us again. And this is what Paul's talking about. So when he says to them this thing called, you know, we're, our citizenship is in heaven, you think, well, why would Paul say that? Because Philippi, being a colony of Rome, was proud of its, uh, its um, you know, attachment to Rome and the capacity of the Roman army to protect them, the capacity of the Roman fire department, you know, to take care of them, the Roman street crew to keep the streets clean. You see what I'm saying? Kind of like we got a great mayor. And they were proud of that. And Paul's thinking of somebody like Abraham or Jesus arrested and beaten and crucified. And Paul's saying, you can never think that your security will be rooted in anything here on earth, even something as powerful as Rome. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've been, we've been invited into a kind of life that is derived from and lived in the kingdom of God, which is simply the expression of God on earth. And Paul says, as you do that, remember he says, and this is classic Pauline theology, and this, you're going to have to get used to Paul and quit picking and choosing between Paul and take Paul holistic because the same Paul who said, let your minds be transformed in Romans 12 is the Paul who says here, transform your lowly bodies. The re I've said this before jokingly, but the reason we cannot stop lusting is it's in our bodies. And if you keep trying to deal with it only in your mind in that sort of dualistic way, it'll never happen. It's in our bodies. 
to cuss somebody out who cuts us off on the freeway, to flip them off. It's in our bodies. That's why you can't mentally deal with it. It's why you failed your whole life trying to deal with it that way. It's your bodies. It's my body that has to be transformed. And that's what these practices are all about. They just day by day, as we give up the Captain Crunch, as we give up the Lifesaver, as we give up the shake, as you give a little bit of sugar all day, you're just, just reminding you, God, transform my lowly body. So that as the scriptures promises that Jesus was the first of a kind, the promise of the scriptures are that Jesus' experience will be your experience in this life and in the life to come. So that, so that as Jesus followed God, as Abraham did, as Jesus was the embodiment of Paul, what Paul has in mind here, that's the life that we've been invited into. I love the way the message has it here. It has, don't waver, stay on track, stay steady in God. That's the spirit of Lent. The spirit of Lent is not religion. The spirit of Lent is how can I have a life that doesn't waver, that stays on track, staying steady in God. So finally, when Jesus says to these wandering sheep to make every effort, did you hear that? You, you'd think, well, that could probably be in a Catholic Bible. But that can't be in a Protestant Bible, surely. Jesus said, make every effort? Yes. Make every effort to enter into the narrow door. Again, the message has it. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life, the way to God, is vigorous and requires your total attention. Now, again, as sinners, we can't do that all the time. But Lent is this gift that says every time somebody offers you a donut at the office, you don't say, oh, no, I gave up sugar for Lent. You take that as a moment to say, God, today I give you my total attention. I just have to check some figures here for my boss, but I'm going to check them the way you would check them if you were an accountant. I just have to grade some papers. But Jesus, I'm going to be a seventh grade math teacher the way you would be a seventh grade math teacher. Because that's my calling. To live the kind of life that you lived in my own life. So, but now let's think for a second, then we'll be done. What are the demands? What does it mean to make every effort? What are the demands made upon us by the kingdom? And you will be relaxed to know there's simply two. Enter and receive. Those are the only verbs ever attached to the kingdom in the New Testament. In, in terms of the demands of the kingdom on human life, it's not the demands of religion. It's the demands of something like what Abraham showed when he just simply believed confessed in, in the sense of bringing his life into agreement and alignment. He entered into a new realm. He received the promises of God. And it was counted to him, not as righteousness in terms of going to heaven when he died, though I'm sure he's there waiting for us, but it was more, no, you're in alignment with the life that God wants to live through you now. So when Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I weep over you. You know what's going on there? Jerusalem is the center of Jewish piety. Okay, I, I swear I'm done with these last two sentences, so you got to catch this. Jerusalem is the center of Jewish piety. It's the center of Jewish holiness and the place where they murdered the prophets. 
And Lent tells us those are both in us. Deep, hungering piety and the capacity to say of another human being, you don't matter. Deep within us is the capacity to hunger for God and racial prejudice. And Lent says, now's the time for you to see it, to face it. And when you face it, and when you see the gap, you are not going to find condemnation. You are not going to find belittling. You are going to find the gracious goodness and power of God to align your life with him. That is the power of a holy Lent. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.